If we can count all of our students, we can have accurate data and a full picture to improve policy and programming. We as professionals can better advocate for our student population so that we can then implement better policies and services to support all students with visual impairment. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. January has become well known in Texas as the month we collect our student census info. Due to this critical event, I thought there was nobody better to chat with than the recent recipient of the DVIDB Deborah Hatton Dissertation of 2021 Award, Dr. Rachel Schles. What does this have to do with student data, you may ask? You're about to find out. My passion has always been the expanded core curriculum for students with visual impairment. As a TVI, I even really worked on a new way to write IEP goals so that we could use project or inquiry-based learning so that we can have a single IEP goal that encompassed all of the expanded core for our students. And the more I thought about the expanded core and who students who receive the expanded core are, it hit me that only students who get identified for services are the students who have a chance at getting quality ECC instruction. And so based on my experiences as a TBI, working across a few different states and talking with colleagues across the country, we know that unfortunately our education system just doesn't do a great job of identifying our students in a timely manner, especially our students with low vision, our students with um, complex communication or medical or educational needs. Like we just don't do as good of a job as we want to identifying those students. And so all of this to say, it really led me to focus on thinking about our student population as a whole and just how can we answer this really basic question of who are our students and how many are there? It seems like such a simple question, but we don't know how many students with visual impairments are in the country. I know when I was working as an itinerant, I started off working in like nine school districts that had never had their own TBI or had had really limited access. And, you know, you walk into those buildings and suddenly you're like, wow, I'm here to see that kid and those three kids over there (laughs) should also be on my list. I know in special ed, we often really focus on small questions and small problems, which which are equally important. But how many students do we have? Like how how can we improve our systems? And if we don't, or even provide service at a baseline level, like if we don't know how many students are out there. So what did you find were some of the common hurdles with states in gathering data on our students? The first set of biggest hurdles is that only about 25 to 30 states actually have or were able to report out to me total population data on their students um, with visual impairments in their state. Um, And actually, I'm always excited to talk with you, Emily, because Texas is the only state that does a public total population count through your VI registration um, that I know is going on now. And not only do you guys have such a robust system for collecting data or thorough system, but um, Texas is the only state that makes that data publicly available. Mm. And so, so 
that in and of itself is a bit of a hurdle that not every state even knows how many students with visual impairments they have. And the reason they don't have, they don't, a lot of states don't know how many students they have is because in special education, labeling students or identifying what special education category they receive services in is how really like federal um, legislation is set up. The way IDEA is set up is that students need to have a primary disability label and that coincides with the federal annual child count. Um, the federal child count is also sometimes known, known as the December 1 count. It's supposed to take place between October 1st and December 1st. Mm-hmm. A lot of states call it the December 1 count. Some call it child count. Um, but essentially what, what the federal child count is, is an unduplicated count of all students receiving special ed services. All students receiving special education services can only be counted once. Mm-hmm. So, and the way they do that is through their primary disability label across the the 14 disability categories Mm -hmm. set up within IDEA. In terms of like, well, what is the primary disability label? There's there's two examples I like to give in explaining this is first think about a student who has autism and a visual impairment. Um, The eligibility team or their IEP team will decide what the primary label is for that student. So it might be that, well, the student has autism and a visual impairment, so they're going to label the student as having multiple disabilities Mm -hmm. and multiple disabilities will be the primary label captured for that student in child count. Or um, it might be a student where they decide autism is the primary disability and then vision will be secondary. And then on the second example is a student with deaf blindness. Um, a student with deaf blindness should be counted as deaf blindness being their primary disability, but they have secondary disabilities of VI and either deaf or part of hearing. So in for both of these students, they have visual impairments, but they're not being counted as having a visual impairment in the purposes of a federal child count. What my research has actually shown over the the two years of the national state survey that I've done is that on average, only about a quarter to a third of state students with visual impairments are actually captured in the federal child count. Mm. And this is not to say that the federal child count is doing a bad job counting our students. It's doing what it's designed to do. It's counting students by their primary disability label. But the reality is, on average, states are supporting between three and a half to four times the students reported in the federal child count because so many of our students have a primary disability label other than vision. And other states have found other ways to to move past primary disability labels to collect total population data. But that in and of itself is is really the biggest hurdle. And then the kind of the second level of hurdles is once you attempt to collect total population data, quite often um, simply creating a database, the technology around Mm -hmm. how how is your state going to implement that data collection process? And then who has access to the data and how is it being reported out? Um, Sometimes local education agencies aren't as willing to share out the data on their total population of students, whether it's a school or district, Um, not because, you know, not for any bad reason, but maybe they just don't understand why it's important for us to know this information. Also, all of education, we're really at max capacity and and don't have a lot of time to do extra things that are asked of us. So um, oftentimes it's just seen as another thing not necessarily required. So why might they be spending their time doing this? Another barrier, which is 
completely valid is that some parents have concerns about confidentiality and don't want to give permission for their child's information to be reported in a, a state database. Mm-hmm. Um, some states have addressed this by not collecting names of students in their reports. But again, that's completely within the parents' rights to um, not give permission. It just creates a gap. So it's it's one hurdle that should be addressed is how do we capture the students whose parents might decline um, consent for reporting? And then kind of the, the last barrier or one of the last key barriers once states attempt to collect data is, I'd say, like knowledge of visual impairments. And so making sure the person reporting out data into whatever state systems created understands what data is being asked of them for the student. For example, some states um, ask for the etiology. So what's the, the cause of the visual impairment of the student? And if a person reporting out the information doesn't know how to read the student's file or I report, they're not going to necessarily be able to report the right information or, or understand what's being asked of them. That's an, a concern that we have in Texas is that our 504 specific data is collected differently in every school district. So it, you know, it's not always the same person. So you can't even like get a group together and explain what we're looking for because it's hard to even target who's the one inputting the the data. So that, uh, I could see that being a problem kind of in all areas. So often we're really focused on students with visual impairments who have IEPs for vision services. And I think we're missing a portion of our student population who have 504 plans, because I think every single TVI out there has probably met a student on a 504 for a vision reason that actually should have had an IEP or vice versa too. Like some people think 504 is like a bad word and students should absolutely always have IEPs, but but these IEPs and 504 serve different purposes and they're both in our toolbox to support students with visual impairments. And so I think, again, to get that full picture of our total population, we really should be knowing not just our students with IEPs, but also students um, with 504 plans. One of the things that came out in the focus group conversations around why knowing states 504 numbers are so important is that many instructional materials resource centers um, in states support students with 504s mm-hmm. because their mission is to support all students with visual impairments. Their mission isn't to support all students with IEPs. So sometimes um, folks in the um, instructional material centers will go, I say like above and beyond or beyond the, the bare minimum requirements and collect data on their state populations of students with 504 plans for VI because it just paints a a more complete picture of the students they are serving and could be serving. And that kind of ties into our, you know, why a lot of states collect data at all is because of the APH money and the quota funds. (laughs) And that's only based on um, meeting or functioning at the definition of blindness. Like you said, it doesn't have to do with if you're on an IEP or a 504. So (laughs) it means more money if they can make sure they count every kid possible. More money just inherently translates to more supplies, more supports, and more services. And not just more, but likely 
better informed and higher quality services and supports for our students. That, that's why we're all here, right, is because we want to make sure our students don't just get services, but get quality appropriate services for whatever their needs are. We might hate to admit it at times, but money drives a lot of the positive things we get. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, you talk about Texas uh collection being so robust. And that's because, you know, we do it on behalf of our Department of Ed, who uses it to calculate funding, and we use it to calculate quota funds. And so, you know, it's a service that our state needs, but it's all related to money. But, you know, it benefits us on the other side as well. Every state has a slightly unique education system. And and I was talking to folks at, at the state level. So one of the things I've seen that I thought was pretty innovative was how some folks have paired a total population data collection attempt with the existing censuses in our field. Like what Texas is doing, I imagine right now, because you're doing it in January, is your VI registration is done in tandem with the APH annual census, which happens in January every year. Um, So a a few states, they're like, well, we're already collecting data on a good portion of our students. Let's just count all of them rather than the ones that meet APH's definition. Um, Another thing that's done is doing it in tandem with the deafblind census Mm -hmm. that's done every year. And then two, some pair it with the federal child count, that December 1 count that I mentioned, where if they're already counting it's a statewide effort mm-hmm. to collect data on all students. So they just kind of make sure students with VI, all students with VI are represented in the data they gather. That said, sometimes we don't need such a complex solution to the problem. Some states have had very simple solutions to the problem where they have a state mandated statewide electronic IEP system. And in that statewide IEP system, they simply have just moved past primary disability labels. So they they do students do have a primary disability label, but it's required that students have or in the system whatever secondary disability labels they have. Um, so if a student is labeled with multiple disabilities, they have maybe two or three secondary disabilities where you know maybe it's it's VI, um, other health impairment and autism, you know, if, if that's what their labels are. And those will all be counted as secondary disabilities. And so anyone, most state departments of that have like a data office or something. At any point in time, someone in the data management can just go into the statewide system and say, oh, how many students have a primary or secondary disability label of vision and just know what it is. Again, because education is a local issue, not all states can implement a statewide IEP system. I think something that's really important to acknowledge when we think about the ways data is collected is the fact that many states follow paperwork reduction um, mandates where they cannot collect Mm -hmm. any data that's not federally mandated. And so that's when I've seen some really unique um, solutions to the problem because VI programs themselves, whether it's the um, Instructional Resource Center or the Commission for the Blind or the School for the Blind, like whatever the the lead VI agency is in the state, they, knowing that officially they can't collect total population data because it's not federally mandated, they just knowing their state systems, they've figured out ways to implement total population data collection systems to 
that kind of circumvent um, that they're technically not allowed to collect that data. And also, too, we have a lot of professionals in states that have these mandates who are trying to explain to their colleagues Mm -hmm. why this is so critical for our field. I'm trying to gather more data so that they can make the case in those states as to why it's so critical that we we keep doing, um, we keep making attempts to collect total population data. So if you were to plan sort of the most accurate data collection model, what would your priorities be based on what you've learned? My number one priority would be flexibility for it to be realistically be implemented within the logistics of the state system in place. If it's not going to be like an outside federally mandated and run system, if it's going to be something that's federally mandated but implemented at the state level, it needs to be flexible so that states can implement it without too many hiccups or resistance. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of data itself, I think having data on like students' eye medical diagnoses, the etiology of their condition, I think that could really help inform training of current TBIs and specialists in the field. And I say TBIs, but even classroom teachers, Mm -hmm. like I would love more classroom teachers to just be a little more familiar with the technology and materials our students use. Along those lines, getting some data on the learning media and technology use of our students. Because again, not only could that inform current professional development, but also those of us in personnel prep programs that are preparing the the next generation of, of vision professionals how can we best prepare them for the needs in the field? Um, so, so eye medical diagnoses, learning media and technology. Um, I know we've talked about it a bit, but really emphasizing that we should be collecting data on students with visual impairments who have IEPs or 504 mm-hmm. plans. I don't know how this could be done, but I think it'd be great to know is the service time that students mm-hmm. get. Mm-hmm. Um, service time and or IEP goals mm-hmm. um, from TVIs and orientation mobility specialists. We know students should be served based on their needs, but often it's they're served based on the availability of mm-hmm. the professionals that support them. We don't know what services look like on the ground for students at a broad level. We know what things look like for this TVI or that TVI or within that district, but they get a big picture would just, I think, could be a game changer for what we could do with that information in the field. Also moving towards equity mm-hmm. for our students, too, because we know just the logistics of having maybe a really rural caseload where you can only see your students occasionally or states that struggle with funding um, the technology needs of our students. To un- to get the, the full picture of what's going on throughout the country or even throughout a state, could just help with the the equity and quality of services for our students, Mm -hmm. I think. And by extension, the outcomes for Mm -hmm. our students and the success they can have as adults. Mm -hmm. I tried to start an unsuccessful movement a couple years ago to stop calling it a teacher shortage and calling it a service shortage. In so many ways, student-focused language should be used as much as possible when discussing needs because it just gets our attention faster if it's a student need versus an adult need. If a state was trying to improve what they were doing, is there another place they could start to, to get better information? I think one of the, in terms of how we can identify students better, kind of getting the word out mm-hmm. on what not just ocular visual impairments are and the range of, um, I don't want to say visual cuties, but like what a student with a low vision looks like versus a student who might be blind or 
again, not just focusing on ocular conditions, but also on uh, cortical visual impairment or neurological visual impairments broadly. Like as a field, I th we're continually to grow in our understanding of those conditions. People outside of our field have very little idea of, of that. And so thinking about our classroom teachers along with eye medical professionals and really educating them on what constitutes school services, whether it's an IEP or a 504, on who is a student with a visual impairment that might be referred to be identified as a student. So that, um, you know, our classroom teachers, they spend all their time with the students. And mm -hmm. so they're going to be, if we can teach them um, some indicators of like when a sensory disability might be impacting or might, might exist, um, we could get higher referral rates and therefore be identifying students more. By doing that, we could have TVIs, ideally, like you mentioned, like having TVIs working directly within the schools already, mm -hmm. and that it would be really easy to pull a TVI to do a referral or a consult on a case when a classroom teacher says, hey, can you come in and check on the student because I, I have a couple questions or concerns. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to say this is the easy solution, but um, doing, doing it's the next step, right? <laughs> That's a great point, though, about just being able, like we said in the beginning, talking about identification and not knowing where the kids are. Um, you know, we need more people than just us looking for these students. So I like that a lot. How do you think your research is going to impact the field moving forward or what are you hoping for? I'm hoping that um, this work really can help shed a light on the discrepancies in our um, current national population counts and really acknowledge that the population counts we have in place only count part of our students. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're designed to do again. Like it's not that the APH count or the federal child count are bad or wrong. They're not, they do exactly what they're designed to do, but they're only designed to count a portion of our students. And by extension though, if we can count all of our students, we can have accurate data and a full picture to improve policy and programming, um, whether it's at the local, the state and the federal level, because we as professionals can better understand and advocate for our student population so that we can then implement better policies and services that are designed to support all students with visual impairments, you know, regardless if they meet the functional or legal definition of blindness and regardless if they have a primary disability label of VI or not. It's a lot to get into in one conversation, so I, I haven't mentioned it, but, but a big part of why I got into the population data itself is because I am really interested in how eligibility criteria for VI varies um, across states. And the work that I've tried to do is doing like uh, correlation models of do components of eligibility criteria correlate to the number of students um, or relate to the number of students identified in a state. But the thing is, because we don't know how many students are being identified in a mm -hmm. state, we can't understand how these broad policies are impacting our students. And so basically what's been shown in other disability areas is that students, because of these interstate differences in eligibility criteria across other disability categories, students are really being identified for special ed services based on where they live rather than the severity of their disability. And so I think if we can get population data for nearly all or all states in the country, we can better understand 
how the qualifying eligibility criteria for being identified as a student with a visual impairment is impacted by how we define what a student is. Well, is there anything else you want to add? I am very excited. This spring, I'm going to be doing my third national state survey. So if anyone listening has either helped respond to their state survey before, or if they know who in their state is the right person for me to ask what the total population data is, to please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. Um, And that's for whether early intervention or school-age students. In the past... I haven't been able to focus as much on early intervention, but this time around, I really want to make sure I catch as many early intervention agencies in this as possible. The last thing, too, I'm excited to not just be looking at the states and D.C., but I'm going to include all the U.S. territories this time around. So I'm, you know, all students, all Americans need to be counted in this. And so I think it's a really important step for equity, again, that we're we're moving forward and not just focusing on the states, but all the, the states and territories. So this will be the first time I'm getting in touch with the territories. So I'm, I'm hoping to, to be able to, to get some responses too. So um, yeah, it's coming up this spring. And, and I'll say too, I guess the last little plug is if anyone's doing work in their state that needs this data to support their advocacy to, even if it's not published yet to please reach out to me because like, I'm doing this so that we can improve services and, you know, work for our students. So mm-hmm. published or not, I'm happy to, to share the data to, um, for any efforts that states need. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. One person sits at the helm of communication and coordination of our collection in Texas, and that person from Outreach is Brian Sobeck. Brian is going to give us a few more details for those tracking students in Texas. This year, regarding statewide assessments uh, in 2020, the governor had waived statewide assessment and people are asking, well, what do I put in for for STAR this year, which, you know, uh, my students didn't take an assessment this year, what do I I put down? And we're asking people to, if they haven't taken an assessment in 2020, select the assessment that they took in 2019. Give us the last uh, assessment that they had taken and that will that will help us. Regarding eye reports, those are not uh, required as per APH. They've waived the, uh, the that requirement this year because of students not being able to go to an eye doctor and and get the required documentation. That's been waived this year. So if you don't have a current eye report or a, a, or a report that was accepted as current by an art committee, that will have no bearing on that student generating APH quota funds. We have created an online form that parents can access on their own. It's independent of our VI registration and deafblind child count web applications. I have shared that information with the education service centers. So if, if you have a uh, you know, if you're a parent of a student who is visually impaired 
or deaf blind, you would want to get in contact with uh, an education service center to to get that link, or or contact me, and I can send that link to you, and we, we can we can do the registration that way. The tentative deadline to complete the registration is January 31st. That's for the for the open registration. Uh, that, that's when it will close, and then after that we'll start the superintendent signature phase, which is when uh, a superintendent or administrator will go in and review the data and then close out. And that will start in early February. Uh, you just have to kind of flip the switch and, and go into that next phase. And the, the cutoff for the uh, superintendent signature is February 15th. When the superintendent signature phase is closed, everything is done. We take all the data, we, we look at it, we get it prepped for for upload to uh, APH and other state agencies who, who require that information. I will be sending out reminders to our districts and charters. Stay tuned to your email. If you have questions, please feel free to call me or email me. You can reply directly to the email that was sent out regarding the counts, and that'll probably be the, the, the quicker way to get a hold of me is by email, so I can I can answer your question a little more directly. I appreciate everyone and uh, all, the, all the hard work they do to provide us information. Texas has identified more students than any other state in recent years. Our extensive data helps us determine the prevalence of eye conditions, the rate of those with additional disabilities, age ranges we may be missing, and what professional development is needed and more. Thank you to all who participate in this massive effort. You ensure the 11,125 students identified in 2020 and the new ones to be counted in 2021 remain a statewide priority. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.